Now, if you're able, would you please stand for reading of God's word? This morning, I'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he again entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's often said that Christianity is about a relationship, not a religion. And while this statement is well-meaning, it is simply not true. It puts forth a false dichotomy. You see, Christianity is both a relationship and a religion. In fact, it is when we keep our relationship with Jesus Christ at the center that Christianity becomes the only true religion. It's important for us to understand that the word religion simply refers to the service and worship of God. What that means is that religion simply is referring to our worship, not just on a Sunday morning like today, but seven days a week. That religion happens when everything that we believe impacts everything that we do. That when Jesus Christ is at the center of our identity, it changes everything. It shapes what we do, how we work, the way that we do business, the way that we date, the way that we raise our children. It even, yes, changes and affects the way 
that we vote. Our problem is when we make religion in our own image. Our problem is we take religion and we make it man-centered. When we center our religious life and we make it about ourselves and our own agendas rather than Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so this morning as we continue our series to the Gospel of Mark, I want to talk about the difference between man-centered religion and following Jesus Christ. And through his teaching on fasting, keeping the Sabbath, and these two strange parables about cloth and wineskins, I want us to see why true religion, true life, our hope is found in only Jesus. The first thing I want us to see is that only Jesus is at the center of true religion. I want to show you what I mean. I want you to go to Mark chapter 2, verse 18. This is what we are told. We're told that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So there's two groups here. The disciples, the followers of John the Baptist and his teaching on repentance, and the Pharisees. Now, if you've ever read the Gospels before, you know that the Pharisees were a notorious group. The word Pharisees literally means set apart, and that's exactly what they were. They were people who set themselves apart from everyone else by keeping the law. Not only did they follow the letter of God's law, but they added to it. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And so Mark tells us that these two groups, the Pharisees and John's disciples, are fasting And yet Jesus' disciples are not. Verse 18 continues, The people came and said to Jesus, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? This is not an innocent question. They are trying to put Jesus to the test. In other words, for them, they saw fasting as a mark of religious piety. It's something that let other people know that you have it all together as a follower of God. The only problem is they did not fast out of following God. They were fasting out of following themselves and one another. They had turned fasting into a man-centered religion. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the Pharisees fasted twice a week. You could even say that they did it religiously. And they did it for their own agenda so that other people would look at them. This is not the kind of fasting that God honors. Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 58, verse 3, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. This is how the Pharisees fasted. They treated fasting, religion, as an end to itself. 
They thought fasting was simply just refraining from things and from food. What they failed to recognize is that God has called us to fast in order to seek him in his kingdom. In fact, in the Old Testament, fasting was always because of messianic hope. What do I mean by that? Fasting was a way of longing for the coming of the Messiah. People fasted because they wanted God to send a rescuer, a savior who would come and make all of the wrong things right again. And this is why the Pharisees could not possibly understand why Jesus' disciples didn't fast. I want you to look at verse 19. Jesus responded, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. What is Jesus' point? I want you to notice that Jesus is not against fasting any more than he's against true religion. Jesus is not against fasting. He fasted himself for 40 days in the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. No, Jesus doesn't condemn fasting. He just says it's not appropriate right now for my disciples. Why? Because if fasting is about longing for the Messiah, then his disciples need not long anymore. The Messiah was with them. Jesus, the Christ, had come. His kingdom was at hand. And so his disciples don't fast any more than people would fast at a wedding. You don't fast at a wedding. You feast. You celebrate. And this is what he's called his disciples to do in this moment. To celebrate and to proclaim that Jesus, the Christ, had come that the kingdom was near. But the Pharisees could not see that. Their hearts were too hard. You see, they had taken religion and they had made it into their own image and it had become man-centered. Let this be a warning to us. You see, every one of us has the propensity to practice man-centered religion. It is estimated that there are over 5,000 religions in the world today. And every one of them has two things in common. First, every one of them was made by man except for one. And every one of them follows the same storyline. This is what you must do as a human being in order to work your way or think your way to God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite. It is the only true religion because it tells the story about what God has done to come to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever might believe in him will have everlasting life. The gospel shatters man-centered religion. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that only Jesus has fulfilled the law of God. The Psalms paint a picture 
of what it looks like to love God's law. Psalm 119.97, the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I wonder this morning, is that how you think of God's law? Do you love the law of God? Jesus in the Gospel of John said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, to love God, to love Jesus Christ, is to love his law. But you see, you and I, we reject God's law every day. The truth is we don't love God's law, we hate God's law. And we hate it in two ways. The first way that you and I hate God's law is we break God's law. And if we're honest this morning, we do it all the time. You and I are law breakers. We disobey God's law every single day. It's called sin. If you've grown up around the church, you've heard of sin. It's disobeying the commands of God. But what you might not realize is that when we sin, we're not just doing something immoral, but we're doing something treasonous. We are breaking the commandments of the Most High King. We are rejecting His authority over our lives and we are making ourselves kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. This is treason, it is sin, it is breaking God's law. But there is a second way that you and I hate God's law. Not only do we hate God's law by breaking it, we hate God's law by adding to it. And just as you and I break God's law, what you might not realize, you also add to God's law every day. You interpret God's law. You change God's law. You add to God's law. You change the rules so that they fit your own agenda and so that you know that you could keep God's law if they're made in the way that you would be able to follow them. I do it too. The Pharisees did it all the time. Gospel of Mark tells us, chapter 2, verse 23, that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, this is not an innocent question. They are putting Jesus and his disciples to the test. They're saying, look, Jesus, look at your disciples. Not only are they not fasting... But they're breaking the Sabbath. Now, what was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was God's command to set a day apart in order to worship God, to refrain from all of your work and all of your labor, to focus and to worship on God and his kingdom. For us, the Sabbath day is Sunday, the Lord's day. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection. For them, it was on Saturday. But again... They took the blessing of the Sabbath, this great gift of resting in God alone, and they made that blessing a burden. They took the gift of the Sabbath and they made it in their own image. They added to it. They added all these laws and regulations so much so as then they saw the disciples just picking up grains off of wheat. They said, oh, oh, oh that's work. 
You're working. You're plucking off grains off of, off of wheat. That's like harvesting. What's wrong with you? You are a lawbreaker. And in that moment, they were puffing themselves up while putting the disciples down. It was man-centered religion. And their hearts were so hard. They couldn't even see it. And so Jesus responds in verse 27. After he gives this example from King David himself, when David, according to the Pharisees' standards, would have broken the law, and yet God didn't condemn him. And this is what Jesus said, Mark 2, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying and what you and I must understand is that every one of us breaks God's law. And every one of us adds to God's law. There is only one who has fulfilled God's law. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law for you and me because we never can and we never will. And what happens so often is when we are exposed in our shame in breaking God's law and sinning against law, it's in those moments that we add to it the most that we try to make up for our shortcomings. We change the rules so we can play them in our favor. That is man-centered religion, and it's not the gospel. Any time that you and I add to the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for your salvation, when we add to that gospel, it is no longer the gospel. Only Jesus has fulfilled the law. The third and final thing I want us to see only Jesus has the power to make us new. It's between these two episodes, between fasting and the Sabbath, that Jesus tells these short little parables. One is about cloth. The other is about wineskins. The first parable, verse 21, this is what Jesus says. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old. And a worse tear is made. Okay, so what is Jesus talking about? Well, I want you this morning to imagine an old t-shirt. Maybe your favorite old t-shirt. You have one like that? Maybe tucked away in a drawer somewhere, even though some of your best friends or maybe your spouse has been trying to get you to throw it away for years. But you just can't do it. And you've been had it, you've been holding on to it, and it's been washed so many times that you can almost see through the material. And there is no possible way that it could shrink any more than it already has. And now I want you to imagine that old t-shirt and the unthinkable happens. It tears. It's so fragile, so worn that it tears. And, and you want to somehow salvage this old t-shirt. And so you get a brand new piece of cloth that's never been washed. 
and you sew a patch over the tear, what do you think is going to happen when you throw it into the washing machine for the first time? That brand new patch, never been washed before, is going to shrink. And when it does, it's going to tear the whole thing apart. Jesus is saying, this is what it's like when we try to domesticate the gospel of Jesus Christ into man-centered religion. When we try to hold on to our own traditions. When we take Christ out of Christianity and we make it about our own agenda. When we do that, it tears everything apart. When Jesus comes, he comes to make everything new. So Jesus tells a second parable, a parable about wineskins. I want you to look at verse 22. Jesus says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so also are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, I don't know how many of you are winemakers, but this parable might be a little harder to understand. But what he's saying is, look, if you have old wineskins that have been used, well, eventually they become rigid and hard. And new wine, when you put it into wineskins, it was still fermenting, still aging, releasing gases as part of the process. And when new wine is continuing to ferment, it expands. So if you put new wine into old, hard, rigid wineskins, that new wine has nowhere to go, and it explodes everything around it. Again, this is what it's like when we hold on to man-centered religion. It becomes hardened, and it becomes rigid. And so many of us this morning, our hearts are hardened not because we have rejected God's law with disbelief, not because we are atheists or we have lived a life of unrepentant sin, although that might be some of us this morning. But so many of us, our hearts have become hardened and rigid because we are still caught up in man-centered religion. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the religions of the world. I'm saying that we can do that with Christianity too. In a book called Christless Christianity, Michael Horton remembers an illustration given by an old pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse. He's a Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia and in a CBS syndicated radio address, Barnhouse asked this question. He said, what would happen if Satan took over a city? I want you to answer that question in your own hearts and minds this morning. What would happen if Satan took over the city of Dallas? This is what Barnhouse said. He said all the bars and pool halls would be closed. Pornography would be banished. Their streets would be pristine. Sidewalks would be occupied by tidy pedestrians who smile at each other. There would be no swearing. Children would answer their parents, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And every church would be full on Sunday where Christ would never be preached 
and never be found. What is Barnhouse saying? He's saying Satan's greatest trick, his greatest temptation is not simply to lure us into sin, but to lure us away from Christ. That we might be tempted to make out of Christianity itself a man-centered religion, a Christianity without Jesus. And this morning, what Jesus is reminding us in the parable of the wineskins is only Jesus can make us new. Your own attempts at religion on your own power will never change you or anyone else. And so I don't know what you are facing today, but I know what's facing us as a people, as a church, and as a country. I know what's facing our own family. The question I leave with you is, do you really think Man-centered religion has the power to change anything at all. But you see, Jesus offers new wine. And he's calling on us by the power of the Holy Spirit to ask for fresh wineskins. That the hardness of our hearts would be pulled away. That we would turn away from man-centered religion and we would turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in the Bible, wine was a symbol of joy. In the Old Testament, the prophets talked of wine with joy as they longed for the coming of the Messiah. It's why Jesus, in his very first miracle, turned water to wine. And it's why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he went to the cross, he held up a cup, a cup of wine, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant given in my blood, poured out for the redemption of sin. Only Jesus has the power to make us new because only Jesus died and rose again and only Jesus is coming again. Until that day comes, may we pray to the Holy Spirit that the calluses and hardness of our hearts would be pulled away, that we would turn away from man-centered religion, and we would turn to only Jesus, and that we would drink deeply the cup of salvation that he has offered for us to drink. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the new wine that you offer us, the joy of following Jesus to the cross and to the resurrection. And now as your people, we fast once again, longing for the return of your son. But we know one day the bridegroom will come. And so we pray now, until that day comes again, may we trust in you. May we claim and hold fast to your faithful promises. And may we hold on to hope in only Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.